0: Oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 293. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I had something happen the other day. It didn't happen, but it did something that gave me a lot of confidence as a creator. Did anybody listen to my week five NFL predictions? I kind of, I scared myself a little bit. It's crazy how much I got right. I went, oh, my gosh, what the, wow. And I guess all that means is that I'm probably going to get everything wrong next weekend. Um, but I got to say, I got a lot of messages about that. They were like, you nailed everything. And I really did kind of beat by beat predict almost everything that happened in week five of the NFL season. Kind of the, the theme of all the games. And that's my style of prediction I really like. And um, go back and listen to it if you haven't. And then look at the scoreboard and you're like, oh. Holy crap. And so I guess it gives me a lot of confidence because I had this strategy of watching football that is a lot different. I, I covered the NFL in a weird way. I watch almost every single game, and it takes a long time. It's really hard to watch entire games, um, and I think it's paying off. I, I believe I have a good pulse on what's going on around the league. So it gave me a lot of confidence. I really liked that moment. And again, it means very little. It means I'll probably be totally wrong next weekend, but... Um, Felt good. Now, today we're going to talk about the Raiders beating Kansas City. We're going to talk about Justin Herbert, a topic people have been really, really wanting for a long time. We'll get into it. It'll be fun. We'll talk about the Tennessee Titans shellacking the Buffalo Bills. They took it to them, beat the snot out of Buffalo. And we'll end the show by talking about Le'Veon Bell. Again, I hope you're doing well. I got my Bozeman, Montana mug. Bozeman's one of my favorite places in the country. Go like Bozeman, Montana... Cincinnati is an amazing city really like it it's funny people hate on Cincinnati around the and Bozeman's like so underrated such a great place but people hate on Cincinnati a lot it's like the go-to butt of the joke like oh don't move to Cincinnati and I go actually Cincinnati (laughs) quite a lovely city I got a lot of love for that place and uh I I was hoping to move there at some point I don't think it's ever going to happen now because of COVID kind of ruined all my plans but what a lovely lovely place that I hope to visit again someday I want to start today by talking about the Raiders, and in case you don't know, the Raiders beat the Kansas City Chiefs 40-32 to on Sunday, and this game really fired me up, and I want to be careful here, because I don't want to make Chiefs fans mad, I don't want to make them think I hate their team, I do not root against Kansas City, but I gotta say, the Kansas City Chiefs are seen as this really gigantic, unbeatable juggernaut, and it's just not true. On Sunday, the Raiders proved that. Yeah, Kansas City can be beaten. And I think this loss might actually be very good for Kansas City because it might be a wake-up call they got to focus and play a lot cleaner. Because early on this year, they've given opposing teams a lot of opportunities, and opposing teams simply haven't taken advantage of that. Like The Chargers should have beat Kansas City. They made a lot of mistakes late. Kansas City won the game. Or the Ravens. For whatever reason, the Baltimore Ravens didn't seem to understand the gravity of the team they're playing against. Multiple times, the Ravens did not go for it on fourth down. Fourth and short, in fact. Uh, Their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, did not extend plays, didn't do what he does best. And the Patriots, man, I think of six moments where the Patriots had blown opportunities where they dropped two interceptions on offense, they went to the red zone twice and came away with no points. Also, the Patriots threw... Two really bad costly interceptions. One of them got taken for a touchdown. So the Patriots threw the game away quite literally. The Ravens didn't quite understand the gravity of the situation. The Chargers had mistakes late that you can't have. And so, yeah, Kansas City is a juggernaut for sure. But they can be beaten. But they haven't played a clean game all year. No one's holding Kansas City accountable is kind of my whole point here. And They've been kind of like... The Chiefs have been dangling this out for a long time. The Raiders finally grabbed it, took advantage, and got the win. It was really, it fired me up. Because I'm not rooting for Kansas City to lose, but I hate bad football. And teams have been missing opportunities against the Chiefs all year. And the Raiders did everything you need to do to beat them. Now, there's a list of four things you need to do to beat Kansas city. It's kind of generic. Like you're going to look at it and go, well, that could apply to any team. And and sure. Like no doubt, right? These are always the goals of every single team, every single game you play. But against Kansas city, you have to nail all four. If you get only three of the four, you're not going to win the football game. But if you get all four things I'm about to list, you have, you're going to beat Kansas city. So number one, if they make mistakes, you have to make them pay. Number two, You cannot settle for field goals. You have to go for it on fourth down, fourth, and short. Number three, you got to play your best game. If you don't bring your best to the table, you're not going to beat Kansas City. And number four, you're going to need some luck. You have to get a little bit lucky to beat Kansas City. So here's how the Raiders got lucky first. So Sammy Watkins, the Chiefs receiver, got hurt in the second quarter, uh, hurt his hamstring. That limited their offense a little bit. The Chiefs also lost their left guard, Kalicia Osemele. Ose- Osemele? I, I want to say his name right. I apologize for that probably mispronunciation. Uh, but I've watched a lot of Chiefs football this year. He really brought something extra and special to their offense where he gave them an extra gear. He got them more push in the running game. Unfortunately, he tore tendons in not one knee, but both of his knees. It's an awful injury. I feel bad for him. And I don't know that lucky is the right word to use when a guy tears tendons in both of his knees. That's kind of awful. But I will say it's an advantage that the Raiders got that they could not possibly have game planned for. So from their perspective, I don't know that luck is kind of a crude, unfortunate word. But it did certainly benefit the Raiders. And that's something that you just got. You got kind of lucky. Hey, one of the best players got taken out of the game. That definitely helped the Vegas Raiders. Now, you got to play your best game to beat Kansas City. And the Raiders did that in multiple ways. It starts with their quarterback, Derek Carr. This was the best game I've ever seen Derek Carr play in the John Gruden era. A lot of fun to watch. He was 22 for 31 passing, 347 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And I got a lot to say, but number one, I am sure that John Gruden was very, very happy with Derek Carr after the game. He executed so well. Well, I say this thing all the time. I say, just drive the car down the road. That's what Derek Carr did. He executed their offense. If you're given easy completions, take them. That's how you make your coach John Gruden happy. That's how you win football games. If they give you an easy completion, take it every single time. He also had a great play on third and 18 where Derek Carr slid in the pocket, kept the play alive, extended the play, and threw to Hunter Renfro for a big gain. He had a great touchdown to Nelson Aguilar. I loved it um and I also thought it was cool that Derek Carr did not flinch when he had an early interception on the second drive for the Raiders Derek Carr threw a pick and it was actually kind of weird because it was the right decision he had Darren Waller open a good decision throwing the ball but he threw the ball high and I think part of that was because of pressure pressure definitely affected the accuracy of the throw but I don't hold that against Derek Carr that interception because in the end they won (laughs) and number two he bounced back. He actually, it was, it was. first of all, it was the right decision to throw the ball there. He just missed the throw, and it ended up being okay. I really, given everything he did after that, I, I thought Derek Carr, I'm fine with the pick. He had a great game. He did so many little things well, and uh, just an awesome game for Derek Carr. Now, Henry Ruggs, the rookie receiver for the Raiders, finally, finally made an impact. I've been waiting all year for this moment The rookie receiver had two catches for 118 yards and a touchdown. He really only had two catches. I mean, that's literally, that's it. He had two catches on the day, but they were two really big catches. One was a contested catch against man coverage, and the other was a 72-yard bomb uh, for a touchdown. And I've been waiting, again, for a long time for this to happen. He started the year injured, and finally, this was the game where Henry Ruggs came alive and made made a big impact, and... I think it's kind of funny. The Raiders, they don't use Henry Ruggs very often. If you watch the Raiders play, Henry Ruggs isn't even on the field much at all. Like they really they play a lot of big personnel packages, a lot of tight ends. They're running the ball heavily. And even when I felt like they could have had Henry Ruggs in the game, he wasn't. I don't know what's going on there, but it's very clear that when he is in the game, they send him vertical. And the Raiders want to use play action and then create big plays and stretch the field with Henry Ruggs. And he had that big contested catch for a big gain, the 72-yard touchdown. And the Raiders are hoping you guard Henry Ruggs with man coverage. So they're like, please do it. We dare you. We'll throw it. We'll beat you. And then if you don't do that, maybe you double-team him and you open up the, the field for Darren Waller underneath. It really helps the Raiders. But that's the very limited way they're using Henry Ruggs early on. I don't know if it's because he's a rookie or... Or what, but I want to see a bigger role come into, you know, come to be a part of. I want to see, I guess what I'm saying is, I want to see Henry Ruggs be part of the Raiders offense a little bit more. But early on, this is the way they're going to use him stretch the field, make big plays. We finally saw it pay off a little bit for the Raiders on Sunday, and it was cool to see. Now, the Raiders defense also played really, really good. Last year, they got. Shredded by Patrick Mahomes. It was ugly. It was awful. I remember there was like a third and, I think third and 27. And Mahomes still threw an easy touchdown. Like there, it was just bad. I watched that Raiders game. Oh boy, their defense, especially against Patrick Mahomes last year, was really, really bad. And this year, they showed how much progress they've been making. First of all, the Raiders defense took away big throws down the field. But they also kept doing their job as, you know, as Patrick Mahomes catches a snap, Takes a three-step drop. Nothing's there. He extends the play, runs around. Time is ticking off the clock. It takes a long time. You have to guard your receiver for like 14 seconds, which is, by football standards, a really long time. And you've got to give the Raiders a lot of credit. They stuck with it. They did their job the entire time, even when Patrick Mahomes extended plays. And uh, it's just really, really cool to see. The Raiders did a great job. Now, it also leads me to how the Raiders made Kansas City pay. When the Chiefs made mistakes, I loved seeing that because the Patriots dropped, not one, two interceptions against Patrick Mahomes. Which, if you're going to beat Patrick Mahomes, you cannot drop interceptions when he gives you an opportunity to do that. Now, the Raiders, they caught their opportunity. They had a gigantic interception. They took it all the way back to the two-yard line. That's a huge play. You can't miss on those if you're going to beat the Chiefs. Kansas City had the ball six times in the first half. They scored on four of those six drives. Technically five. We'll get into that in a minute. But they had three touchdowns and a field goal. And the Chiefs offense, I'll be honest, they were rolling early on. It felt like, wow, Kansas City, it's a typical game. They got a lot of momentum. But on those two non-scoring drives, penalties hurt Kansas City. They had two big holding calls. One even got a touchdown called back. You know, instead of a touchdown, they had first and 20 because of offensive holding. That's a big deal. And another thing is that in the past when Kansas City has played the Raiders, third down and long has not been a deterrent for Patrick Mahomes. And in this game on Sunday, the Raiders did a great job stopping him on third and long. So those penalties helped the Raiders. And then later in the second half, Casey missed two key third downs. First was one where Mahomes missed Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey was running across the field. Travis Kelsey settled down in the hole, and Patrick Mahomes threw the ball as if he was going to just keep running. That's a big miss that helped the Raiders. And then second, on a third and nine, the Raiders' coverage did not flinch when Patrick Mahomes extended the play. Max Crosby got a sack, but it was in part because of the great coverage downfield. That's a testament to the Raiders. They did a great job, and I got to give them credit. They played very, very well on defense. Now, there was a key moment where I talked about it a minute ago. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. There's a key moment though where Kansas City scored to put them ahead twenty one to ten. And it would have been easy for the Raiders to let the game get away from them at that point. It was starting to feel like a typical Kansas City game where you know they're down twenty-one to ten, and the Raiders had to respond at that moment. Because if you don't, the game could very easily get away from you. The Raiders did. They made it 21 to 17. And by halftime, the game was tied 24 to 24. And there's a name that nobody's been talking about around the league. It's a, name, it's a guy named Devontae Booker. He's the number two running back for the Raiders. And when Le'Veon Bell got released by the New York Jets, I saw a lot of people say, wow, maybe the Raiders should sign Le'Veon Bell, give him a good one two punch with Josh Jacobs. And I think the Raiders already feel like they have a good one-two punch with Josh Jacobs because they have a second running back named Devontae Booker. He had a big 43-yard run. There was even a long scoring drive where Josh Jacobs didn't touch the ball one time. The entire drive, Devontae Booker was in a running back. That's a big deal. The Raiders have confidence in their number two running back. And no one, I've never heard anybody talk about Devontae Booker. Now, I don't listen to a lot of content. Maybe that's the problem. But I, I didn't know this name, Devontae Booker. And as I've been watching this year, the Raiders really like him. They're giving him a lot of touches and a lot of opportunities, and he's doing pretty well. Now, this is my favorite part of how the Raiders beat the Chiefs on Sunday. They went for it on fourth down multiple times. And I looked at that and went, yes, finally, because if you're going to beat Kansas City, you have to go for it on fourth and short. I remember watching the Chiefs and Ravens game, and on fourth and one, Baltimore kicked a field goal instead of going for it. A couple times I went, man, what are you doing? Do you not understand? Three points against Kansas City is not helpful. You need to score touchdowns to beat them. And how about this? The Raiders on fourth and one from the 15-yard line. Instead of kicking a field goal, I'm pretty sure John Gruden watched that Ravens game and said, man, you need a touchdown. You don't need a field goal. On 4th and 1, the Raiders go for it. They got it. That led to later in the drive, as Josh Jacobs' touchdown run. Bang. That's a huge deal in this game. Go for it on 4th down against Kansas City. Why would you not? On 4th and short, you don't need a touchdown. The other quarterback's the league MVP, the best quarterback in the league. You need to score touchdowns to beat Kansas City and the Chiefs. And uh, I just, I love that, man. That's how you beat Kansas City. That's awesome. And also, by the way, later at the very end of the game, two minutes left, right after the two-minute warning. Another fourth and one for the Raiders. They had the ball just past the 45-yard line, and they were up 40-32. to 32. That's an eight-point lead. Two minutes left, you have the ball, an eight-point lead. Instead of punting it away to Patrick Mahomes, they said, you know what, we're going to go for it. And I, I, watching at home, I went, oh, yes, have the stones to do it. Because what you can do is give Patrick Mahomes the ball back. Why would you give the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now the ball? It makes him or Russell Wilson, you can debate that. It doesn't matter. My point is, you don't give that guy the ball less than two minutes left with an opportunity to take the lead and beat you, or at least tie the game and beat you. And so the Raiders went for it. They got it. They won the game 40 to 32. And I at home went, Yes, John Gruden, understand there are four things you got to do. To beat the Raiders. You cannot be afraid to risk it, by the way. You can't be afraid to not go for it on fourth down. But here are the four things. And again, you need to do all four. You on If you get three of the four, you're not going to beat Kansas City. But if you do these four things, you'll beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Number one, you got to play your best game. You got to bring your best to the table. Number two, you need a little bit of luck. Everyone's lucky. Maybe you get lucky. You beat Kansas City. Number three, when they make mistakes, you have to take advantage of them. You have to make them pay for their interceptions or their holding penalties or their drop passes, whatever. You have to make the Chiefs pay when they make mistakes. And number four, do not be afraid to go for it on fourth and short. This win fired me up. The Raiders did all four. That's why they beat Kansas City. And I'm not hating on the Chiefs, but man, Kansas City has not played a clean game all year. Finally, the Raiders were the first team to make them pay for it. And uh, that's good football, man. That made me go, oh, yeah. Yeah. Good for the Raiders. Good win. And uh, they did those four things right. That's why they beat Kansas City on Sunday. alright I'm going to take a short break. My voice certainly needs it. My suit of it still hasn't kicked in. It's driving me crazy. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about Justin Herbert, the L.A. Chargers quarterback. I still want to k- say San Diego for some reason, even years later. And then later towards the end of the show, we'll talk about the Bills and the Titans, and we'll talk about Le'Veon Bell who the Jets just released. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm taking a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing well. I uh, took a longer break than I normally do in between segments, actually, like about 20 minutes. Um, I watched that music video Lonely by Justin Bieber. Wow, if you haven't listened to it, it's good. It's really, um, it's heartfelt, I guess, is the word I would use. It's really cool. If you haven't, like, I, I guess I'm a big softie. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that, that video, it's not the video, it's the lyrics. They're really, really good. So listen to Justin Bieber's new song, Lonely, if you want to. Um, it's all about kind of the struggle of being, I know you laugh, like rich and famous. Like, ah, oh, what a good problem to have. But there are some, uh, I'm sure for him, some lonely parts. I talked about it when I talked about um, LeBron James. How LeBron James never had that young, dumb moment that we kind of went, wow. But I, I mentioned Justin Bieber in that segment last episode, so it's kind of crazy. Like right after I talk about Justin Bieber in that moment, bam comes out the music video all about that. So uh, I encourage you go listen to "Lonely" by Justin Bieber. Very interesting, kind of. Uh, if you heard me talk about him in the LeBron James segment last week, I guess last episode. When was that recorded? I have no idea. Very recently. Regardless, maybe that was. When was that Monday? Wow. This week is flying by. It's crazy. I want to jump in. We'll stick with L.A. We'll talk about the Chargers. Um, let me drink some pineapple juice real quick. On Monday night, the New Orleans Saints beat the L.A. Chargers 30-27 to in overtime. And in my opinion, my show, my opinion, uh, there's only one storyline worth talking about from this game. Like, a lot of stuff happened, but... The Chargers rookie quarterback, Justin Herbert, is the headlining story, in my opinion. The dude had four touchdowns. You can nitpick him if you want. There were certainly little mistakes he made, but I think it doesn't really matter. The important line is that Justin Herbert did everything he needed to do to win that game. His team still lost, but Justin Herbert was phenomenal in that game, kind of a high point. And I went through a range of emotions at the end of that game because there was a moment where Justin threw that long touchdown, uh, his fourth of the game, I thought it was a game-winning touchdown. I was so happy for Justin Herbert in that moment. And then later, I felt so bad for him. You know, Herbert scored a touchdown, and the Saints scored a touchdown. And then the Chargers got the ball. Tie game, 52 seconds left. He drives the team all the way down the field into field goal range. They kick the game-winning, or at least what would have been the game-winning field goal. It bounced off the uprights. And you're like, oh, dude, I felt so bad for Justin because he really played a great game. Game goes to overtime. Chargers lose, Saints win. I mean, terrible, terrible football bad for him. And context matters because Justin is playing before he was supposed to play. Before anybody expected him to start, Justin Herbert became the starting quarterback of his team. Not to mention, there's a bunch of injuries all around him on the Chargers roster. And yet he's playing very well, good enough to win. That deserves a round of applause, a lot of respect. Uh says a lot about him as a human being as well, his ability to handle... All of that, and then do well. Justin Herbert, well done. We'll dive into him in a minute. I want to also say that three teams—the you know Washington, the Detroit Lions, and the New York Giants—could have picked Justin Herbert, and they did not. Now, I, you know, I wouldn't have picked him. I was, you know, out of the NFL draft. I I was not a big Justin Herbert believer because I guess I'm an idiot. Um, they could have picked him though, Washington, New York, and Detroit, and they did not. And they could have Justin Herbert. And I left the Dolphins off there because the Dolphins got to a tongue of Aloha. I think he's going to work out just fine. But I know that Lions fans and Washington fans in particular really wish their team had drafted Justin Herbert. I know Giants fans are like, well, we had to see what Daniel Jones had. Fair enough. I got to be honest, though, and I said this at the time that Justin was drafted, too. I want a little bit of credit at the very least. I said that Justin went to a great place for him. He got good offensive coaching, two good receivers in L.A., and, uh, I mean, again, they have a wise, cool-mannered offensive head coach, uh, Anthony Lynn, and then a great quarterback coach, Pat Hamilton, who was once the quarterback coach of the Washington—what was the team name? The XFL team—the D.C. Defenders, excuse me, in the XFL. So Justin went to a really good team suited for his skill set. And I, I look at Justin—like, I watched him on Monday, and my thought was, yeah, this kid's good enough to do well anywhere. Like, you could put him on any roster— And eventually he would have succeeded. You know, he's just that good. But I don't feel that if he'd gone to Detroit or Washington, he would have found success this quickly, right? He's he's very talented. At some point he would have made it work. He's a great quarterback, but it would have taken him a little bit longer. Uh, You know, having two defensive-minded head coaches in, what is it, in Detroit or in Washington, plus both rosters are not as good as the L.A. Chargers. Now, L.A. gave him an opportunity where he could succeed much quicker. Again, he still would have succeeded either way, in my opinion. Now that I've seen him in the NFL, I go, yeah, he looks really, really good. And I love nearly everything I've seen from Justin in the NFL. I'm excited to do a film analysis down the road. That's probably where you'll get the tagline where I say, you know, I was wrong about Justin Herbert. We'll have a fun moment. That's coming down the road. We'll do a film analysis after the year is over. And I know a lot of people want to hear me say that, and we'll get there. Have a little bit of patience. Uh, But one thing I will already say I was very clearly wrong about is Justin Herbert's leadership. I also want to point out how I contradicted myself at the time. I was questioning Justin Herbert's ability as a leader. uh, And I often say, though, this is what weird contradiction, I usually say that loud doesn't necessarily mean leadership. Loud does not mean leadership. A lot of people, especially in America, we think to be a leader, you need to be the loudest guy in the room. And it's just not true. And I watched Justin Herbert's both his uh, post game press conference on Monday, then the way he played in the game. You know, additionally with that, and the dude is a leader. People want to follow, particularly his teammates. They want to follow Justin Herbert. So I was just wrong about that. Um, I don't. I, I also want to say I have no regrets though. I don't. When I watched Justin Herbert's film in college, I saw a lot of things I didn't feel good about, and it looks like I was wrong. Uh, but I'd rather share my honest concerns and be wrong than suppress my opinion. And I, I gotta say, I'm really getting tired of dealing with this angry mob of Justin Herbert fans. It's go, it's kind of driving me crazy. Uh, I'm just gonna keep being myself, say what I believe. That's how I make content. And the minute you give into an angry mob and compromise your compromise what you say to pander to a group of people, that's when. I don't know. That's when you run into really big problems, because I will never say things to make people happy. If they do, if they like what I say, great. But I say what I believe, and that's a very, very important thing to do. I'm not going to give in to an angry mob. And I remember this offseason, there was an angry mob mad at me. Uh, I, I watched film of Dwayne Haskins, and I pointed out the dude has an accuracy problem. And oh my goodness, man. Washington fans, Dwayne Haskins fans, they went crazy. They were so mad. How dare I point out that Dwayne Haskins might struggle with accuracy? I got called all kinds of horrible words. I'm not going to repeat on this show. Well, uh, Dwayne Haskins just got benched (laughs) over a week ago, and uh, he struggled a ton early on with accuracy. Hmm. Hmm. Even though the angry mob didn't like it, I was right. So, Even though it looks like I was wrong here, I'm going to stay to myself and keep saying what I believe and pointing out things that I I find problematic. Uh, And and by the way, send me your mean messages. Don't send them to my girlfriend. My girlfriend's been getting mean messages. She says it's fine. It's funny to her, whatever. I'm asking you, like, person to person, if you're going to send hate at me, send it at me, not at my family. Don't, Don't leave them out of it. It's a little bit crossing a line into inappropriateness. It's fun. If you're a Justin Herbert fan... And you're mad at me, I, I got no problem. I know, I know what comes with my job. It means people uh, will, will hate on me and say mean stuff to me, and I, I get it totally fine. But leave my family out of it. I know, like my girlfriend, she knows who she's dating. She knows that part of what comes along with that is mean messages occasionally. But I'm just asking you, as a human being, please respect my family, leave them out of your feud with me. That's all I'm asking. I also gotta say, watching Justin Herbert in the NFL. It gives me a lot of questions about Justin's college coaches at Oregon because it's a fact. I mean, you can dispute this if you want, but it's it's a fact. What I saw is that Justin made the same mistakes year after year, over and over again at Oregon. Now, in the NFL, he's working like a sponge. I mean, he really is soaking everything up, taking in a ton of information. So, number one, credit to... The Chargers, offensive, uh, what is it What am I saying? The quarterback coach, Pep Hamilton. The offensive coaching clearly in LA is really helping him. Pep Hamilton, I'd love to be in those meetings where Pep is coaching up Justin Herbert. I bet it's awesome. Uh and then number two, what went on with Justin at Oregon? Why were the mistakes repeated over and over and over again? Why did it feel like there was no progression from Justin? Um, obviously Justin was really good at Oregon. They won on. They won a Rose Bowl to end his career. Like He's a good quarterback, and he was even at Oregon. But why was there so much inconsistency, and why was it not getting fixed? Was it that taking college classes was hard to manage, uh, and maybe that was dividing his attention? Was it that maybe being in his hometown was a little bit problematic? Uh, did he get bad coaching? Something behind the scenes was kind of weird with Justin Herbert. Because um, I, I live in the Portland, Oregon area, and I saw nearly... I saw Justin Herbert play pretty much every single weekend, and more often than not, I saw habits that made me nervous, and I I don't know why that wasn't fixed by Oregon's coaching staff. Now, all that being said, you can watch games on TV, you can watch the All-22 Coaches film, but there's one thing you really cannot judge when you watch a football game, and you can do your best. um, And looking back, there are times where Justin Herbert showed a lot of heart on the field, where as a leader and this and that. I mean, maybe I I just screwed up there, but I I know that one of the hard things to measure from a player on film is their heart and how well they, like you could, I read into film and said, well, he's not getting better. There must be some kind of mental breakthrough. Why is there like a mental block there? Why is he not getting better that way? And I blamed things on Justin that I think are more clearly the fault of his coaching. And so I, I want to say, man, I honestly think it's really cool to see the leaps and bounds that Justin has made as a quarterback in the NFL. It seems like the Chargers got their quarterback. I'm really happy for them. I'm happy for their head coach, Anthony Lynn. I hope he keeps his job. I really don't want to see L.A. fire Anthony Lynn. He's a great guy, good coach, who is just getting started with Justin Herbert. Like, oh, my gosh. And and by the way, if Justin can clean up a couple things, he's already becoming a problem very quickly for the NFL. If Justin can make a couple little tweaks, like not miss an out route at the end of the game, not throw that nearly interception, there's little things he needs to clean up. But as Justin Herbert, or maybe even recognizing pressure a couple times, if mentally Justin can keep getting better, the sky's the limit, man. It already is, but oh my gosh, I mean, the the potential Justin has is terrifying. So I'm happy for LA, I'm happy for Chargers fans in general, and props to Justin Herbert, man. I gotta say, you know, he clearly he's working his butt off and uh Justin Herbert deserves a ton of credit man he's playing very very well and I I think people think I hate him I don't hate the guy I really uh, I'm happy to see him do well and it's he's he's certainly proving me wrong so far five games into the year making me look like an idiot which I, I don't mind I never mind being wrong and uh I'm very happy for Justin Herbert playing very well happy for Chargers fans and uh yeah very. Very fun to see the growth that Justin Herbert has made very quickly in the NFL, and uh, I love to see it. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Titans and their shellacking. Is that even a word? I don't know. I hope it's, maybe it's some, like, offensive thing. i would be terrible, wouldn't it, if I was just saying shellacking, and it's some, like, horrible, mean, awful thing. I better look it up. Like, what, what if it is? Oh, my gosh. Um... I'm going to take a short break. We'll talk about the Buffalo Bills and the Titans in a minute. We'll end the show with Le'Veon Bell. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Zach Shomler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, in a rare Tuesday night game, the Tennessee Titans beat the Buffalo Bills 42-16. to 16. Now, honestly, two things are true. Number one, the Bills made... Way too many mistakes to win that football game. And number two, the Titans were impressive. Now, before we get into all that, we'll do that in a minute. I want to first start by saying that, and I guess really praising the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. I've never said this. I've never gone out of my way, and I apologize for this. Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase as a head coach did not work out in Miami. Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback, Adam Gase, the coach. In Miami, it didn't work out. And when those two broke up, Adam Gase went to New York with the Jets. Ryan Tannehill got traded for like a seventh round pick to Tennessee to be a backup behind Marcus Mariota. I blamed Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback. I said, I even said this literally, I said that when the Jets hired Adam Gase, it was a good hire. <laughs> as crazy as it is, I said that. Because quote, I believe it said something like, Adam Gase never had a good quarterback. Oh my god, how it's funny looking back at that. It's clear now Adam Gase was the problem. I was oh so horribly wrong about that. And Ryan, Ryan Tannehill was not at fault even a little bit. So Adam Gase goes to the Jets. He ruins the Jets. He ruins Sam Darnold. He gets a star running back, Le'Veon Bell. Can't work with him. And again, destroys the, the, the career of a promising young quarterback, Sam Darnold. Adam Gase is a problem. He's not a good coach. And meanwhile, Ryan Tannehill goes to Tennessee, wins the starting job, takes him to the playoffs, and shows us how good he is, and I love it. So I want to be very, very clear. I was wrong about this breakup between Ryan Tannehill and Adam Gase. It was not Ryan Tannehill's fault at all. I'm very happy for him. He showed how good he is in Tennessee. And uh, we saw an example of that on Tuesday night. He's a smart, scrappy quarterback. And I would even call the guy clutch where – we saw this in the playoff run last year. Ryan Tannehill makes so many key plays in important moments. And that's why he's such a good quarterback. It's not just the you know, the accuracy, the timing, the ability to run around, the decision making. It's really he's got this clutch factor that nobody ever, ever wants to talk about because Ryan Tannehill isn't a big flashy quarterback. Now, on Tuesday night, he was 21 for 28 passing. 195 yards, three touchdowns. He also ran the ball four times for 42 yards and another touchdown. He's so clean as a quarterback. He's a clean football player, meaning that there's no crazy mistakes. There's no bad, horrible throws. There's no terrible turnovers. He can move around. He can extend plays. He's accurate. And I am so happy to see Ryan Tannehill succeed in Tennessee. It's really, really cool. I like the guy a lot. And he's doing very, very well. He deserves a lot of credit. Now... Here is some context on, about Tuesday as far as the Tennessee Titans go. Because of COVID, they had not practiced basically for two weeks. So no—and in, in, in any time in the last two weeks, the Tennessee Titans really had not gotten together and had significant practice time leading up to that game on Tuesday. And then to consider they came out and executed incredibly well, it's so impressive to me. I go, wow, oh my gosh. Tennessee did a great, great job given the circumstance. And by the way, A.J. Brown, their young receiver, a second-year receiver, continues to really impress me. He had multiple strong catches with defenders on his back. He had seven catches for 82 yards and another touchdown. And I got to say, I, I really was impressed with Tennessee. They came out, they executed well, especially given what was going on. And I also really like their dark blue uniforms that – is that navy, technically? It's all all dark blue, almost black, that dark blue color. I really like their uniforms. I thought everything about Tennessee was appealing and good and impressive on Tuesday. Now, the yardage stats are a little bit skewed for Tennessee because if they seem low, if you look at Tennessee, you go, wow, Ryan Tannehill seems like he doesn't have a lot of yards, and A.J. Brown, not a lot of yards, and oh, the running back, Garrett Henry, not a lot of yards. If you think it seems low, it's because it is, but there's a reason for that. And it has to do with the Buffalo Bills' really poor execution. So the Titans had four drives where they started deep in the Buffalo Bills' territory on Tuesday. The Titans had a drive start on the 18-yard line going in, on the 16-yard line going in, on the 30-yard line going in after a really good punt return, and on the 12-yard line going in. They started three drives in the red zone because of Bills' turnovers. They had two interceptions and a fumble. And for all the praise I've been giving the Tennessee Titans, their quarterback was awesome, their young receiver's great, they execute very, very well. I was really impressed on the way they did, you know, without having any practice. For all that being said, you have to acknowledge that the Buffalo Bills were just not very good on Tuesday night. Poor tackling, turnovers, I thought, you know, one of Josh Allen's interceptions were not his fault, where it kind of bounced off his receiver's hands, went up in the air, taken for a big run. But the second interception was very weird. I watched the, the, I went to the coach's film to see the all 22 version of the interception. And my hope was to kind of figure out what was Josh Allen's intent. And I honestly couldn't tell you where he was throwing the ball. I don't know what, either he really horribly underthrew a fade ball trying to throw like a hole shot. Or he badly overthrew an out route. Kind of threw the ball to no man's land. I don't understand what he was doing. He didn't look confident in the throw either when he threw it. So I don't know what Josh Allen was doing on the second interception. Now, the Buffalo Bills are 4-1. and one. They played in five games this year. The, one of those five games, you know, their, their first loss of the year, they just didn't show up. I don't know what else to say. I mean, they didn't execute well. Had turnovers. They tackled poorly. Everything was bad. For Buffalo on Tuesday. I want to give credit to Tennessee. But you also got to point out. Their opponent did nothing to warrant winning. And so I guess they converted well on third down. Like there were a lot of. They had a lot of long sustained drives. Where third and seven, third and 10. Third and 13. Third and 15. It felt like Josh Allen kept throwing the ball. For good gains on third down. Like that's maybe the only highlight I can possibly talk about. For the Buffalo Bills in this game. It was a bad Ugly game. Josh Allen looked a bit off pretty much the entire game, where even on completions, his ball location was just a bit behind or a bit, you know, maybe slowing receivers down or just a bit off the entire game. And uh, there's no other thing to say than to say that the Buffalo Bills were simply really, really bad on Tuesday night. Now I want to shift gears to talk about Le'Veon Bell because, in case you don't know, The New York Jets released their running back, Le'Veon Bell, on Tuesday night. Apparently now, he has signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, so it's a one-year deal. And in all this whole situation, I see two winners and a loser. Now, winner number one is Kansas City. I mean, they got another running back, a player they didn't need, and a really good player who's going to do very good things for them, Um the rich got richer, basically, when the the Chiefs added Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell can run the ball really well. Uh, he's very patient. He waits for holes to open up and then hits him really hard. He's a good receiving running back. They could literally, if they wanted to, put Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield and put Le'Veon Bell out wide at receiver, or they can do a two-back set. There's a lot of stuff you can do if you have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell. It's kind of terrifying, actually. It, it, what, you know, I, what I will say is that if you want to watch early in the year when the Broncos had both Le'Veon, Bell, what am I saying? Both Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon healthy. Melvin Gordon, Melvin Ingram, Melvin Gordon, I believe, is a running back. I get Melvin Gordon and Melvin Ingram were both on the Chargers at the same time, and one's a defensive end, one's a running back. And I, I to this day, I still like every once in a while, I go, I pause and go, is that the right name? So Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay were in the backfield, two good running backs, and the Broncos showed a good blueprint for what you can do. When you have two running backs, you can both catch out of the backfield. They had moments where they would send uh, Melvin Gordon out wide on like a a bubble route and then send Phillip Lindsay on like a Texas route where he starts out, the linebacker flows out wide with the swing, and then Phillip Lindsay darts back inside on like an out and in. And you can play a lot with linebackers that way. So I am really excited to watch Kansas City and how they use Le'Veon Bell if, in fact, you can get him in quickly enough to learn the system. Remember, he's got to learn their, their offense and get up to speed. So it's going to take a while before Le'Veon Bell has a big impact in Kansas City. But, like, the last half of the year, watch out. That's a really terrifying thought. They just added another good running back that they really don't need, who, by the way, can catch passes, and they are the best screen team in the league. That's a horrifying thought. They did not leave, need on Bell. Now, winner number two... Le'Veon Bell, He, the dude wants to win. I thought maybe he was going to go to Seattle, uh, but Kansas City makes a lot of sense. He wants to go somewhere and win. Uh, you think about this. The Jets gave Le'Veon Bell a ton of money, and so he's rich. Now he gets to go have fun and win football games in Kansas City. It's unfortunate he had to endure the Jets organization, but Le'Veon Bell is a big winner here. He gets to win. Have fun. He endured the Jets, got paid a lot, though, so he comes out all right. And uh, I'm happy for Le'Veon Bell. We'll talk about more of him in a minute, kind of his weird thought process. But I want to say the big losers here, undoubtedly, are the New York Jets. It makes—I don't understand. In so many ways, they're just a big, big loser. And I guess that's funny wording, but they—I don't know, man. First of all, your head coach, Adam Case, is an idiot. Number one, Adam Gase could not find a way to build an offense around Le'Veon Bell, which is ridiculous given what we saw from him before joining the Jets. He's a good running back. And even there were moments where he saw flashes of, wow, Le'Veon Bell is just the best player on his team after Jamal Adams with no help. And now Jamal Adams left, and Le'Veon Bell was left alone with no help. Bad offensive line, quarterback struggling, no receivers. It's awful. And then number two... Not only could Adam Gase not find a way to fit Le'Veon Bell, or at least build the offense around Le'Veon Bell, he also didn't keep him happy. And so I believe great coaches can manage personalities. What does it say about Adam Gase and his people skills that he could not find a way to manage Le'Veon Bell and keep him happy? Maybe it's just Le'Veon Bell. I think there's a good argument to say that Le'Veon Bell was a problem that could never be solved. But... I don't know why the Jets should have never, ever signed Le'Veon Bell. From the beginning, Adam Gase literally did not want him. That, <laughs> that's terrible. He literally publicly basically basically said, yeah, I never wanted to sign him. Like, what? Why would you give him a huge contract? And because they did that, because they, were, they owed him a ton of money, the Jets also couldn't trade him away. Just lose after loss after loss. Bad, bad, bad decision. And there's not much more to say here other than it's just another example of terrible management by the New York Jets. Frustrating, disappointing. The Jets have repeatedly shown themselves as an inept organization. I don't know who would want to play for them. I don't know who would want to coach for them. The Jets are just a gigantic mess, I guess what I'm trying to say. And it's unfortunate. It's disappointing. It's not good. It's not fun to watch. Now, I will say this. I guess maybe in favor of the Jets. This is maybe the only good thing I can say. In favor of the Jets' cause. I criticized Adam Gase for not finding a way to work with Le'Veon Bell. Maybe it was hopeless. Maybe Le'Veon Bell was not somebody you could work with. And that's possible. Because you got to remember, Le'Veon Bell chose to be there. He signed a contract, bought him money, and then all he did basically was complain about how he much he hated the New York Jets. And so i got to say... If you hate the Jets so much, why did you sign there? Now the answer's money. He wanted the money the Jets were offering. But it sounds like Le'Veon Bell wanted the money and didn't actually want to put up at the organization he went to. And you can't have both. You gotta if you're gonna pick a team, pick the team and then deal with it. Make a smarter decision if you really don't wanna be there. And if you wanted to win and have a good time, you could have taken a little bit less money and gone to a competitive organization like Seattle or Kansas City from the get-go or, I mean, the page. There are so many places he could have gone and made some money. Probably not New England because they are not going to pay anybody, especially a a running back. Um, But I, I just think it's all weird to me. And a good lesson here, I guess, is that if you're a young athlete, be aware of what situation you're walking into. If you're a young guy and you're in eighth grade getting ready for your high school team, go to a good high school that's got an opportunity for you to play, that's a winner, that's good. I made the mistake one time. I went to a college where the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, they were the same person. The guy didn't want me. And I realized how you know in training camp, oh my gosh, why am I here? If the guy doesn't want me at all, I don't know why I'm sticking around. So um, I learned a hard lesson there. When you are picking a team, make sure you do a lot of research about the location, about who's there. Do they want you? Is the culture good? Do they have a, a support around you? There's a lot of factors that go into picking a team And it sounds like Le'Veon Bell either didn't do research or didn't care about the research because he wanted the money. And I I don't know that Le'Veon Bell should have ever signed a contract to go to New York. It was not good from the get-go. It was never good. And I guess in the end, he got a lot of money, so that's a benefit. And he survived. And Le'Veon Bell can go to a good team, hopefully, and maybe win a Super Bowl. So I guess in the end, Le'Veon Bell won, but... something isn't quite right about the way that he signed a contract. And then all he did from that moment on was complain about how much he hated his team. I just, I know I'm simplifying things there, but it's gotta be frustrating. If you're a Jets fan, you're like, dude, why did you come? Why? We let you into our house. And then all you did was complain about how much you hated the food and hated the bed and hated the shower. And it was too cold and all. It's like, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. And so, uh, I think the Jets had to release Le'Veon Bell, given everything he was putting out on social media and the way he was talking about the team. I'm rambling here now, but I see both sides. But either way, it doesn't look good for the Jets. The Jets are the big losers here. Uh, They look inept. They look stupid. And it's, you know, the real victims here are, honestly, Jets fans. The, The team made a bad mistake. And if you're a person who's emotionally attached to the Jets, you did nothing wrong. It's not your fault. Your team is just a bad organization, and I feel very, very bad for you, guys. That's all I have. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I uh, I'm excited to put this out. I love you. Have a great day. But I'm bum, bam, we are done.